You've got a vision, you've got an idea, you have a business, but you can't seem to move forward. You've come to the right place. Welcome to Vision Possible. The show that empowers you to believe, conceive, and achieve your goals. We are your hosts, Butch and Julianne Hartman. We are business owners, entrepreneurs, authors, wealth strategists, television producers, and content creators who have negotiated multi-million dollar deals. We'll teach you the secret formula to success. Learn how to make your daydream your day job. Find out more at visionpossible.net. You can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Take your business and scale it to the next level. Get ready to transform your life by making your vision possible. Hey guys, welcome back to the Vision Possible weekly teaching series. My name is Ryan Haley. And if you haven't tuned in before, I'd encourage you to check out the Vision Possible YouTube channel. You can see all the different videos we've gotten there from myself, Nathaniel, Carly, Butch, and Julianne. Uh, the last couple of weeks, I spoke about what I call finding your sweet spot, which is where you find what makes you come alive, getting well-paid to do what you love most and do best. And that's really exciting. That was the first video I talked about in part one. In part two of finding your sweet spot, I talked about the transition from once you've identified this big picture vision, calling, um, life purpose, if you will, taking the practical steps to actually get there through detailed planning, execution, setting and achieving goals, and particularly going into how this relates to what I spend most of my time doing, which is financial planning and um, helping people you know, with their overall financial investing and, and tax strategy to get to the point of financial freedom where they can achieve their life goals and um, you know actually end up living out that vision that they've already identified from having gone through the first parts of it. So if you haven't seen those, you might wanna go back and check that. But what I'm gonna transition into this week for probably several weeks in a row is some new timely and significant changes to taxes and the financial and economic environment that I think uh, present some challenges, but they also present some amazing opportunities. And as I said in the last video, uh, especially when it comes to investing, the greatest crises present the greatest opportunities. So uh, what I want to talk about in this week and following weeks is the, the challenges and the opportunities that have just recently come from a lot of things that are going to uh, raise the tax rate on individuals and businesses. And um, we've also got um, possibly... Uh, most likely a, a rising inflation over time, as well as the lowest interest rates we've ever seen, at least in my lifetime and probably most people's lifetimes. So those things can present a lot of challenges in that uh, if you're getting taxed at a higher rate, then you're not keeping as much of the money as you're making. If inflation is uh, eroding the purchasing power of your dollar over time, then your purchasing power is getting even less between taxes and inflation. And then we've got this unbelievable low interest rate environment, unprecedented federal um, monetary and fiscal stimulus where the central bank is basically printing more money than we've ever printed. And um, those things are, are problematic, certainly in the long term for our country and for a lot of people. But again, that does present some opportunities. And 
there were some major changes to um, the tax codes in a variety of different industries and sectors that actually can make this almost a perfect storm in a good way of how to really take advantage of some unique opportunities in the midst of what I think is just a totally crazy financial environment that we're living in right now. So um, I'm gonna go into how a very specific strategy that will tie all those things together, but I kinda wanna lay the groundwork first. So um, most people are familiar with investing in stocks and um, you know retirement plans like 401ks, IRAs, maybe doing some options or day trading. I know Robinhood and a lot of these, you know, um, zero fee brokerage apps are, are really popular right now. So I think most people have a pretty good idea of um, what stock investing is about. Um, maybe not super sophisticated, but that's generally something that the average person knows about. So starting with that, um, basically a stock is a piece of ownership in a business that gives you um, entitlement to either uh, cash flow in the form of distributions or dividends to shareholders and or appreciation of asset value. So if you buy a stock for $10 and it goes up to $15, you've made a 50% return on your investment. Plus, if that stock is paying dividends every quarter, then you're getting income in addition to the appreciation in the stock price. So hopefully that's familiar to most of you guys. Um, what I really like is real estate investing in addition to stocks, and I'm a big fan of everything. Some people are, you know, I'm only stocks or I'm only real estate or I'm only this or that. I believe in, you know, using all the different tools and options at your disposal to create the plan that works the best for you. So um, I, I think it's important to be well diversified. That's just a core principle of investing that um, the more assets and asset classes that you own, the more it um, exposes you to opportunities in the form of higher returns, and it also um, decreases the risk of any one particular asset going down in value or you know having a really difficult time like we saw with real estate in uh, 2008. So the basic idea to all these things, whether it's a stock, uh, a bond, uh, a real estate income producing property, uh, whether, whatever the asset is, the basic idea between all of it is that at the end of the day, you're giving something up right now, which is called the, the principal or the investment, right? So if you spend um, $100,000 on a cash flowing income producing property, that $100,000 is your, um, your principal or the investment, the initial investment that you made. If you're buying stocks, let's say, you know, you're buying... Uh, every month you're setting your, your retirement plan on automatic so that you're buying um, $500 a month uh, into your 401k plan, for instance. Then that $500 is your principal or your investment you know, on a monthly basis. So regardless of the amount or the asset class, at the end of the day, an investment is simply you give up this much money right now called the principal in exchange for um, hopefully a combination of um, income that that asset produces, you know, while you're holding it, such as uh, an income producing rental property. And then, you know, with that asset, you'll have certain amount of revenue. In this case of real estate, it would be the rent that you're collecting from your tenants. You'd have a certain amount of expenses, which would be maybe your mortgage payment, your taxes, insurance, um, any maintenance or repairs you have to do to the property. 
leaving you at the end of the day with your net profit or loss, right? And then whatever, hopefully it's a, a net profit if it's a good investment. Obviously, you want to be making money over the long term instead of losing it. So the amount of money that you've made after that is um, what you're going to compare to what you paid for that asset, and that is your return on investment. So again, to use real estate, because I think everybody is familiar with that, you've either you know, been a tenant, uh, a homeowner, or maybe both in your life. If, you're, if you pay $100,000 for a property that generates, let's just say $10,000 a year in gross revenue um, and has $5,000 a year in expenses, then your net profit obviously would be $5,000, the 10,000 of revenue minus the 5,000 expenses. So that $5,000 of net profit is how much you made on that $100,000 investment. So in this case, you made 5,000 off of 100,000 in that first year, your return on investment is 5% for that year. And hopefully that number goes up over time where you can increase rents while your mortgage stays the same and hopefully you can be more efficient in managing your costs and expenses. So hopefully, you know, the first year, maybe you make 5%, that $5,000 net profit over the 100,000 that you paid for it. Maybe next year you can increase rents a little bit. That goes up to $6,000 um, and so on and so forth. And then when you sell the property uh, at the end of the time that you're holding it, then you'll obviously get um, whatever you paid. Hopefully, again, if it's a good investment and you made money, you're, while it was giving you a stream of income, that property was also appreciating in value. So maybe you bought it for 100000 kept it for five years, and you sold it for, let's say, $125,000 after five years. So not only did you have the income from that time period, you know, $5,000 the first year, $6,000 the, seven, the second year, whatever numbers you want to put in there, let's just say it generated $25,000 of net income over five years, and you were able to sell it at a $25,000 profit from what you bought it for. Then in that case, you'd have $50,000 total out of the 100,000 that you invested, you get that back um, and you just made 50% over five years. Now, I'm not gonna go into super complex formulas like the time value of money, time weighted returns, because the general idea behind that is a dollar today is worth more than a dollar tomorrow, um, generally speaking with inflation. So, um, you know, you, you haven't made 50%, you know, in the, sense that most people think about it, uh, maybe your compound annual return over that time period was 12%, but that's still a good return. So the major point I'm trying to communicate here is that once again, no matter what the asset is, whether it's a stock, a bond, a property, whatever, you're paying this much upfront, you're getting this much in net income while you hold it, and then you're getting this much in appreciation when you sell it for more than you bought it for. So if you understand that basic idea, you essentially understand the fundamentals of any investment. And I know that Wall Street and the financial industry likes to make these things really complicated so that you know people just give up and say, oh, I just need to pay somebody to manage my money for me. And sometimes I think it's really important to have a financial planner who can walk you through that stuff. But I think a lot of people don't realize how much they can actually accomplish on their own without having to spend a whole lot of time, effort, or money to learn these basic concepts. And so um, that's kind of the starting point here. It's just knowing what the fundamental aspects of an investment are. Uh, again, an investment is different than 
uh, what I'll call speculation. And this is something that you'll probably hear if you read financial blogs or journals, that is uh, a really critical difference. And I found out the hard way in 2008, the difference between a speculation versus an investment. Something that you are investing in is something that you have actually seen historical uh, numbers. It's not a guess. You're not hoping for you know your house price to go up or for your stock to go up. You've looked fundamentally into the value of the asset, the income it produces, and what um, the maybe the tax advantages of owning it are, and the different flexibility you have um, in creating more assets out of that one asset. So you have a a situation where you want to understand as much as you can, and there's an element of uncertainty no matter what. But when I'm looking at buying real estate, I'm not assuming that I'm going to get amazing um, appreciation every single year over time. Uh, I did that in 2006 when I bought my first property ever in San Diego. I was fresh out of flight school, 26 years old. Uh, you know, Back then the economy was booming and real estate was just going through the roof every single year. So everybody just thought, you know, you couldn't miss if you bought real estate. So going with conventional wisdom, I, you know, basically took out 100% financing on a $320,000 property that was a one bedroom, one bath, 730 square foot condo. Now, that may sound crazy to you guys, especially since we're talking $2,006, that's, you know, 15 years ago. But at the time, that was not that unusual. You know, things were just going up everywhere, so I just assumed you know, I'll buy this, I won't put any of my own money into it, and I'll just assume that um, if I hold on to it for three years and maybe I move um, to my next duty station in the Navy, I'll sell it and I'll make $100,000 more than I paid for it. And had it been the same uh, for the next three years as it was the previous three years, that probably would have been true. But I didn't understand the the difference between speculation and investment. To that, to that example for me was a pure speculation. I was just assuming something that was completely outside of my control. I can't force the market to go up or down. I can't force my house to appreciate in value um, in this context. There are situations that you can force value and appreciation if you improve the profitability uh, and expense ratio of the property. But generally for most people, if you're just talking about buying a home and living in it as your principal residence, there's nothing you can physically do other than maybe a major remodel to force the value of your home to go up. So basically I was counting on appreciation, having put none of my own money into the deal and um, not really understanding where we were in market cycles. Um, I was just, you know, a 26 year old guy who had a little amount of money, you know, from the Navy coming in, uh, making decent income and it just seemed like that was the thing to do. And normally it is, and over the long term it is. But I didn't understand, I was speculating, I was not investing. And so sure enough, a once in a generation financial crisis happens a couple years later. At the same time, I had to move out of my condo in San Diego to pay even more expensive rent on top of that in Monterey, California. And now I have to rent out my property to somebody who's you know only paying me $1,200 a month and my expenses on that San Diego condo were 2,400 a month. So now I'm losing $1,200 a month and I'm paying rent on top of that in Monterey. So that totally caught me off guard. It was really, you know, kind of scary and I didn't know it was gonna happen for a long time. Of course, everybody was scared at that time. There was no, 
you know, no precedent for this. Nobody knew it was going to happen. But, um, you know, I learned a hard lesson. It was a good lesson, but uh, I wouldn't recommend it if you don't have to. Luckily for me, I didn't get foreclosed upon. I didn't lose the house. Um, the military had a program that helped me sell it six years later at a 50% loss and they covered, you know, the rest of my mortgage. So I didn't owe any debt on it. I walked away free and clear, which was a blessing, but it was a pretty bitter pill to swallow for someone who had been paying $2,400 a month in payments for six years and have nothing to show for it. Um, that was a pretty formative event for me. So learning from that, and this is what I want to stress here is, you know, whether we're talking about finances or just, you know, finding and fulfilling your vision, uh, you're going to encounter difficulties and setbacks along the way, but they're always an opportunity for growth and to learn and become better. So eventually I was able to do that. I pretty much did the exact opposite of everything I did in 2006 when I bought my first dedicated investment property, not a speculation, but an investment. And I looked, I was not counting on appreciation at all. I had somebody who really knew what they were doing help me to identify a good market. In this case, it was Columbus, Ohio. Um, and I was able to buy a property that had amazing income and cash flow for the price. So I paid 100% cash for it, which is the opposite of what I did in 2006, where I paid 100%, it was 100% financing. Um, I looked at it strictly from the standpoint of how much income or net cash flow into my pocket that I could receive each month, as opposed to how much it was going to go up in value. And I really just became a student of how this worked. I you know, was able to have a good property manager and a whole team on the ground in Columbus because I live in Colorado, so I couldn't manage it myself, nor did I want to. And so by collaborating and, um, you know, partnering with different people who have different skill sets, I was able to really leverage a lot of time and money to have an amazing property. And ironically, because I was not focused on appreciation at all in this case, I was only looking at the income and the you know, historical numbers from an investor standpoint, as opposed to a speculator. Um, turns out that a lot of other investors who had the same mentality as me in that time period, um, that became harder and harder to find really good deals like I had that produced, you know, that high of net income or cash flow each month. So ironically, it actually forced the appreciation of the home up quite a bit. In fact, uh, in a little under two and a half years, my home value increased by 40%. Now, again, that was a nice bonus for me. I wasn't planning on that. I wasn't expecting it. I just bought this property for what I knew it was already paying in uh, rent, what the expenses were. And because I focused on that, I got a really nice bonus of this huge increase in value. So I pretty much, again, like I said, I just did the almost exact opposite of what I did in 2006. And it worked out really, really well for me. But what I found out was that not only as I was going through this process, not only was I understanding how real estate investment works, but as I kept studying this and becoming really committed to uh, learning how these things all connected, I learned that if I understand how to value and have the experience of being a real estate investor, it's the exact same principle, whether it's stocks, bonds, or anything else, like I've been saying this whole time. It really gave me an appreciation for, well, you know, if I just think of a stock as a property, right? Because for me, it's easiest to relate everything in real estate terms because it's just a physical, tangible thing that most people can wrap their heads around. Whereas 
stocks, bonds, and you know other financial instruments that are kind of more ethereal. There's not a physical product really. Um, it helps me to think in that term. So I was like, well, if I know how to understand and value a real estate investment, I also know how to understand and value uh, a stock or a bond or you know some other kind of maybe private equity alternative asset kind of investment. Because again, at the end of the day, it's how much are you paying up front? How much are you getting in net income while you're holding it? And how much can you sell it for at a profit once you're done holding it? And once I understood that, it was like everything became so simple to me. And now I'm starting to understand as I keep studying the economy and these different things, like I mentioned earlier, that you know we've got this super low interest rate environment. Well, obviously that's not good if you're depending on fixed income instruments like bonds, CDs, or a savings account. You're not going to get much yield or income on that. But at the same time, it makes borrowing very, very cheap. We have some of the lowest interest rates we've ever had ever right now. And that looks like it's not going to change. So although I'm very cautious to encourage people to go into debt, if you haven't already learned how to master your finances and live on less than what you make, and make long-term good financial decisions, I would recommend you don't get into debt at all. If you're in debt, pay off your credit cards. That's not productive debt. It's high interest debt <clears throat> for consumption type items. Um, you know, Understand how money works and flows. But if you're at a point where you've got some extra money, you've, you've saved up, <clears throat> or you've gotten to a point where you're living on significantly less than what you're making, then I would say because of this environment we're in, if you know that you have the discipline and the wisdom to be responsible with your money, then taking on debt might be a good idea for some people right now. Because again, we've got low interest rates, but you're using other people's money, the bank or whoever you're getting the money from, to buy uh, an asset that hopefully you've looked at from an investing standpoint and not a speculation standpoint. And you know it's going to give you a certain cash flow and income, and you understand the fundamental nature of the value of the investment, then with inflation going up, but debt staying the same and really low, you're actually benefiting from these things that I said in the beginning are potential challenges and you turn them into opportunities. So you're, you're leveraging a low interest rate environment to borrow very cheaply for an asset that hopefully you've looked into enough and know is going to go up in value over time. You know that it's giving you a certain uh, net cash flow every month. And you're, you're benefiting from the fact that that asset is going up at or above the rate of inflation. Whereas if you just kept money in a savings account, every year you're guaranteed to lose 2 to 4% or whatever the inflation number is. Um, so you can actually take advantage of what would otherwise be you know, a challenging or you know, less than ideal economic environment. So... I don't want to go too far into more details on these yet. I just kind of want to lay that basic foundation of understanding what an investment is fundamentally, something that you pay money for now to get a stream of income while you hold it and hopefully, you know, a profit when you sell it, then if you whether it's property, stocks, bonds, business ownership, um you're, you know, it's basically the same idea. And then understanding how these different economic factors, tax changes, um, you know, inflation, interest rates, et cetera, how that all plays together. So uh, again, I'll be layering this um, in, in stages over time so that hopefully you can watch these in sequence and not be overwhelmed by it. But that's the big takeaway for you guys today is we've got these certain conditions in the economy. 
but we have opportunities if we know how to be investors and not speculators. And ultimately, again, tying this back to the whole point of the vision that we're always talking about here, making your daydream into your day job. For most people, the path to that freedom is gonna be through passive income and wise accumulation of assets that are gonna increase in value over time, hopefully very tax efficiently, and provide a margin of safety in case things, because things will always go wrong, things will always come up that are unexpected. But if you've done your homework and your research, you understand these things, then you're gonna have a margin of safety and a buffer that'll still help you to thrive. And the more you do this over time, the more assets you build that generate more passive income, the more you can reinvest into more assets that generate passive income and keep building this wealth snowball. So once you got to that point where your monthly um, passive income exceeds your expenses, you don't have to work anymore. Now, I don't encourage people not to work, but the whole goal that I have, what, the point that I'm at in my life and that I want to help you get to is that you have the freedom to choose only those things that you're 110% passionate, all in to do, excited about, so that the goal of passive income or being able to retire is not to stop working, it's to work with 100% passion and purpose in the thing that you are you know, uniquely equipped to add the most value to most people and that's gonna make you come alive. Back to that idea of the sweet spot, which I'll probably reference continuously throughout this. So there is this intersection between the financial planning, understanding how money and investments work, and the financial freedom and time freedom that'll give you to be able to really focus on what you were put on this earth to do and how to eventually make your daydream into your day job. So I hope this was beneficial for you guys. If you haven't checked out visionpossible.net, make sure you go there. You can take our vision spectrum quiz that'll show you where you are on what we call the vision spectrum from you don't even know what your vision is to you're kind of figuring out what it might be to you know what it is, but you're not actually doing it to eventually you've identified your vision and you are walking in it completely. So that'll give you a lot of good custom content to um, relate to whatever part of that vision spectrum that you're on. And then I'd also encourage you to uh, follow, like, and subscribe to our YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram channels. On the, the YouTube channel, you can subscribe and then um, press the little bell icon for notifications when we go live or when we post a new video. So you'll always be up to date. Uh, we hope that this has been beneficial and exciting for you guys, and I will see you next week. You've been listening to Vision Possible. To get more information or to contact Butch and Julianne to schedule your private coaching session, go to visionpossible.net. That's visionpossible.net.